0: Hi, my name is Luke Walker, and this is Inside Industry with iREO, the premier podcast about how WSU researchers fund their research privately, which is also known as industry. I have with me today, Dr. Courtney Meehan, an Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies in the College of Arts and Sciences at WSU, and an anthropology professor. Courtney, how are you doing today?
1: Good. How are you doing today?
0: Oh, I'm doing just dandy. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and what's keeping you busy?
1: Sure. So I'm a biological and cultural anthropologist. Um, Really, what that means is that I'm interested in kind of the intersection of human biology, our environment, and our social and cultural worlds. I'm interested in how all those aspects interact with each other to influence both parental investment and caregiving and children, as well as child development.
0: And what got you interested in researching child development?
1: Yeah, so I think it started when I was in graduate school. It was probably always an interest of mine, but uh, I started working in the Central African Republic as a graduate student and working with a group called the Aka, who are uh, hunter-gatherers who reside in the Congo Basin rainforest. And they rear children uh, very much like we probably reared children throughout our evolutionary history. They hold their infants throughout most of the day. There's physical contact almost all day and all night too. They co-sleep with their babies. Moms breastfeed on demand. That means about four to five times an hour. And so I was always very interested in how those aspects of caregiving might influence child development. In addition, they are really embedded. Children are embedded in, in deep social worlds where they have an enormous number of caregivers helping them and caring for them every day. And so I wanted to understand how that social environment also influenced child development.
0: So with infant and child development, I know you look especially into human breast milk. What is it exactly that you're looking for?
1: Yeah. So we are looking at all different components of uh, breast milk, or maybe I shouldn't say all different components. We are looking at numerous components in human milk. So I would say about 10 years ago now, I kind of started to expand the work that I was doing and I had began to look at breastfeeding and human milk composition. And I merged both my earlier interests that I just was talking about with uh, studies on human milk composition. And so so I became interested in how you know, our social and behavioral and, and physical environments might alter mom's milk and how it might alter the composition of mom's milk and whether or not that would have an impact on child development. When we think about it, you know, human milk is the gold standard for infant nutrition uh, in uh, those first few months of life for infants. And it's also likely for the majority of infants born in the United States and around the world to be either their sole or their primary uh, source of nutrition in their first few months of life. And so it is a really critical aspect to understand since uh, most infants around the world are wholly dependent on it for their nutrition.
0: So, what have you learned when it comes to relationships between the infant and parent?
1: Yeah, well, when it comes to human milk, we've done uh, a variety of uh, studies over the last few years to understand how human milk composition it varies around the world and how that might be influencing child development. So, for example, my uh, colleague Michelle McGuire and I ran a study, an international study on human milk composition, uh, a few years ago. The project is actually still ongoing, but the data collection ended a couple of years ago. And in that study, we were focused on global variation in human milk composition. And we uh, conducted that study at 11 different sites around the world in eight countries across four different continents. And we undertook that study because as with most research, there is a heavy bias toward human studies in the United States or in Europe. But if we're going to understand human milk composition, we really need to take a global perspective. And so for one aspect of that study, and we looked at multiple human milk factors. But for one aspect of that study, we looked at the human milk microbiome. Um, And so up until I would say about a decade ago, most researchers thought that human milk was sterile. And we now know that that's not true. Human milk uh, contains a diverse array of microbes. And these microbes can be uh, both mental and or pathogenic. they're not that many of them are likely very good for mammary health and for infant development. And so we wanted to understand, you know, whether or not human uh, the human milk microbiome and human milk composition more generally varied around uh, the world. And we hypothesized that it would vary and that it not only would vary, but that it would be responsive really to local environments around the world, to geography, genetics, to diet and and to behavior. And, you know, so we, uh, we hypothesized that it would be responsive to local environments. And in doing so, that would really prep the infant for the world in which he or she would be reared in. And, you know, that's really what we're finding. We're finding a tremendous amount of variation around the world in terms of either the human milk microbiome, the infant gut microbiome, uh, human milk immune factors, and, and human milk oligosaccharides, that infants around the world are, you know, their mother's milk is different. There is no one normal human milk composition.
0: Fascinating. I also saw online that you were enrolling for a COVID nineteen study and how it may affect breastfeeding women and their children. What is that project?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So at the start of the uh, pandemic, my colleagues and I we switched gears. Um, We realized right away that there was a potentially looming uh, public health crisis, and that came from you know reports that we were hearing that hospitals you know, in some places in the United States and around the world were separating uh, mothers and infants due to concerns that mothers could pass the SARS-CoV-2 virus to infants. And yet we didn't know whether or not the virus was in milk. And we were concerned that there might have been an overreaction or Basically, we just wanted to understand, was it in milk? Could it be transferred? And whether or not milk contained antibodies that could actually help the infant. And so we switched gears really quickly at the start of the pandemic and began uh, enrolling uh, women who were COVID positive into a longitudinal study. It was a two-month study where we looked at milk samples from mom and examined whether or not the virus was in milk and two, whether or not that milk contained antibodies. And what we found was, uh, and actually this is a paper that was uh, led by Ryan Pace, who is a postdoc at the University of Idaho. Uh, but what we found is that the milk produced by COVID-19 positive women was not a vehicle for the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but which is was great news. And we also found that it was a beneficial source of antibodies and it actually neutralized uh, SARS-CoV-2 activity.
0: So is there any more countries that you've worked with while studying human milk?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I can give you an example from our work in the Central African Republic that we did. So it was actually one of the first international human milk microbiome studies that we did. Uh, This was several years ago. And we were very interested in how those caregiving patterns that I was talking to you about a moment moment ago with Hunter gatherers, whether or not they influenced uh, the milk of mothers. And, And what we found was that infants who have a lot of caregivers or allo mothers, those infants, mothers, have a more diverse human milk microbiome. Basically, what we found is that when other individuals touch your baby, it changes your milk composition, which is absolutely fascinating. And we've actually followed this up. Uh, We're finalizing a paper right now uh, where we looked at this with that large international study, and we see... You know, very similar results. And we've also done a recent method study where we were trying to understand whether or not we could introduce a probiotic into um, an infant's mouth and whether or not that we could track that probiotic. Uh, from the infant's mouth back into the mammary gland. And so whether or not we could see that infant exposure would actually change mom's milk. And that's exactly what we found. We found that, you know, when an infant is exposed to something in their environment, during breastfeeding, the milk enters the infant's mouth and then is pushed back into the mammary gland and changes the composition of the mother's milk.
0: Interesting. Now, has industry helped you fund your research? And if not, would you possibly be interested in an industry partnership?
1: Yeah. So we we have uh, been primarily funded through uh, federal studies. We have had uh, a great relationship, uh, my colleagues and I, with uh, Medela, where they have uh, assisted with uh, supplies for, for our studies in terms of uh, breast milk collection supplies and pumps, et cetera. But we are definitely looking for additional industry partners. This work has so many kind of legs on it that connect with different industries. We've actually just started a breastfeeding and cannabis project uh, as well, where we're looking at whether or not uh, cannabis use during lactation is also is altering human milk composition as well.
0: Wow, that's an interesting study to do up here in the Pacific Northwest. Now, so out there in the world, there's kind of a movement, i, I that's the only word I can think of, uh, that believes that women don't need to breast milk, but people would prefer to use formula instead. And I'm just curious, as with your line of work and as a professional, what you think of that. Are people fine to just use formula?
1: Well. <laughs> Uh, it's a great question. We know that uh, human milk really is the gold standard for uh, infant nutrition in those first few months of life. But I also believe that we need to ensure that women are given the choice to do what, what is right for them, their infants and their family. And so I do not approach my work as um. As a breastfeeding advocate, I approach it as an advocate for women and infants to do what is right for them. For infants who can't be breastfed, that they have access to, you know, the best available formula that science can produce.
0: All right. Thank you. I was just curious because I know that's kind of a topic that's somewhat debated. So I just wanted to see what you thought.
1: We need to make sure that moms and, uh, and infants have the best available information and science to make that decision um, and that they are supported uh, if they're not able
0: to. Okay. And is there anything else that you'd like to add about your work or research or this is your time to shine. So please take it away.
1: Yeah, well, I can give you some more information on our uh, most recent work on breastfeeding and cannabis. Uh, We are all really excited to to move the field forward in this area. Um, You know, over the last several years with increasing legalization, um, there has actually been increasing cannabis use among reproductive aged women, and there's also been decreasing perceptions of risk among that same population. We know that uh, canal cannabinoids uh, transfer into human milk. Um, And we actually hypothesized that that human milk and the mammary gland might be a repository for cannabinoids. Yet to date, uh, and this is Perhaps not surprising in human milk research, it's definitely growing rapidly right now, but it didn't receive the attention it maybe should have in in over the past several decades. But to date, there are no studies examining whether or not cannabis alters human milk composition, and nor are there rigorous studies assessing whether or not uh, cannabis use during lactation uh, is associated with infant development outcomes. There have only been two studies published on that both approximately 30 years ago and neither were able to really tease apart whether it was a prenatal or or postnatal uh, effect. And so we've just started, you know, this work and uh, we are, uh, it's an interdisciplinary team of researchers and we are trying to understand, you know, the effects of cannabis on human milk composition and on uh, the recipient infant. We're also looking at whether or not cannabis exposure during breastfeeding is or, or is not associated with infant development. And so we hope that these, the, you know, really the results from these studies are going to provide critically needed health information and enable, you know, mothers uh, to make informed evidence-based decisions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great thing to know. So I'm curious, if someone was interested in possibly an industry partnership or maybe being a student one to help with your research, how could they get a hold of you
1: Uh, yeah, I'd recommend that they email me, uh, at, uh, cmian at wsu.edu.
0: Well, Courtney, those are all the questions that I have. Thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and tell us all about the great work that you're doing, researching breast milk and all the microbiomes in them. So thank you so much again for being on this podcast. I can't wait to see what more of your lab does in the future.
1: Yeah, well, we've been having a lot of fun doing it. So (laughs) thanks. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you. Well, this concludes our episode. I'm Luke Walker, and this is Inside Industry with IREO.